This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I get to sit down with a different guest each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most, faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guest this week is Dr. Heather Thompson Day. She's an interdenominational speaker, an ECPA bestseller, and has been a contributor for Christianity Today and Newsweek. She's the host of Viral Jesus, a new podcast with Christianity Today, which charts in the top 200 of all Christian podcasts in the U.S., She's an associate professor of communication at Andrews University, and she is passionate about supporting women. She even runs an online community called I'm That Wife, which has over 270,000 followers. She believes her calling is to stand in the gaps of our churches for young people. She's the author of eight books, including her newest book, I'll See You Tomorrow. She lives in Michigan with her husband, Seth, and their three kids, London, Hudson, and Sawyer. I love Heather so much, and I've followed her work for quite some time, and her new book, I'll See You Tomorrow, Building Relational Resilience When You Want to Quit, is such a needed message right now. Because in a culture where people are easily and hastily canceling relationships rather than cultivating them, she wants people to discover what the Bible has to say about how we need to keep showing up for one another even when we feel like walking away. We're surrounded by choices. If we want to watch a movie, we have multiple platforms we can choose from. If we grow tired of a friend or a conversation, we can leave them on red. It's never been easier to tune out and make a switch when something doesn't go perfectly or when we're offended. And I'll see you tomorrow. Heather and her husband, Seth, tackle difficulties that people face in relationships and help them navigate through relational disappointment, conflict, and fear. This is such a rich deep conversation. We really got to some meat here. And I know that if you are somebody who has really wanted to cultivate strong friendships, strong relationships in your family, even your marriage, man, this is so, so good. And you're going to love it. So without further ado, on to my chat with Heather Thompson Day. Well, I am so excited to welcome Heather Thompson Day to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Should I call you Dr. Day? No, (laughs) you absolutely do not have to do that. Heather works. Heather, well, I'm so excited uh, for you to be here. Thank you for joining us. And how are you? I am really good today. I went running this this morning, so I feel like I am off to a good start. You are. If you have started your day with a run in Michigan, then you are you are better than I think most of America at this current moment. <laughs> I'm going to put that in my bio. Better than most of America. <laughs> most of America. I don't know why that was the first thing that came out of my mouth, but we're going to go with it. So, um, well, I'm so excited about this. Uh, like I said briefly before we started recording, like I feel like I know you because I, you know, we have mutual friends in like Sharon Hottie Miller and Beth Moore. And oh, um, and I just, I, I've followed your work for so long and I got your new book, I'll See You Tomorrow, um, which oh, I know so we're going to talk about. And I, so I just, I'm just, I love you. And so I'm just really excited to have you here on the show. So I want you to introduce yourself to the community. So tell us, give us the Heather 101. So who you are, what you do and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So I always say, if I, when I'm trying to describe myself that I am forever a teacher 
and forever a student. I really, truly think those two things encapsulate almost all of my personality. Um, So I teach communication courses and have been doing so for over a decade now and work obviously in, in the communication space in popular culture as well. Yeah. And was that something that you had always wanted to do? Like, did you have, you know, pipe dreams of being a communications professor as a young child? Like, were you playing school with your friends in the living room? Or where did, how, what led you on that path? So I always wanted to be a writer. Mm. That was my literally five years old. Mm. That's always what I wanted to do. And one day my dad said to me, this would have been probably, I don't know, maybe in undergrad, because I kept saying, but I'm going to be a writer. Like, I know it. I know Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a writer. And my dad said, well, okay, but you have to pay your bills because (laughs) writers make like a dollar per every book that they sell. Um, So he's like, so what are you going to do? Like, you can do that, but what are you going to do? And so then I was, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, like I have to have a job outside of my passion. I'm a millennial, right? If you can't tell, I just want to live in my van and write books. Um, (laughs) And so I ended up, I I taught, I I was doing comm as a major and journalism. I actually double majored for my undergraduate degrees. And I taught this mini lesson once in a communication class. And my professor said to me, Heather, you have a gift. I really think you should keep teaching. And so then when I was like 22, I adjuncted my first class at a community college and I went into my car in the parking lot after that class. And this is true. I I started crying mm. and I just said, I know like, this is what I am sp- supposed to do for the rest of my life. And I honestly, and I was adjuncting. So like, really, I, I wasn't getting paid to do it. I was just doing it. And so eventually, that's why I wrote the book, It's Not Your Turn. Eventually, after years and years of adjuncting and making no money and being super poor um, and getting tons of books rejected, I ended up getting hired full-time in academia and um, have worked for many schools since then. But I absolutely love being in the classroom with my students. That's so cool. I only taught two years of high school English. So I feel like that's basically the same thing. Um, <laughs> just um, <laughs> did you like it? I did. I did love it. I loved being a teacher. And it's funny because I did not go to school to be a teacher. I okay. uh, wanted to be a I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. And so um, really? naturally... I ended up as a 10th grade high school English course, teacher. Right. Naturally. Well, as, as do most as, of us that want to be on Saturday Night Live. As one does <laughs> is, you know, I was doing comedy and then I needed a job to pay the bills. Yes. And um, but I, you know, actually I was a I when I went to college, I was a musical theater major. And then very quickly changed over to creative writing, English with creative writing, because I was like, well, I want to be a writer, but I want to do comedy. So I want to do comedy writing. And and it just kind of naturally went from there. Anyway, long story short, when I graduated college, I didn't have the money or a job lined up to be able to move to New York. And so I was like, well, I need a job in the meantime. And it was like at the peak of a recession. So they were like, we are desperate for teachers. Would you? And I was like, well, I don't have a teaching certificate. They're like, that's fine. It's fine. They just throw people in here. It's fine. You'll get certified (laughs) while you teach. And I was like, this is a thing. And so, yeah, I was a high school teacher for two years. And um, but then when I moved to North Carolina, that was like the recession was really bad at that point. And then they were just laying people off like crazy. And I couldn't get another teaching job. And so, uh, and then now I have a podcast. So (laughs) 
But can I ask you, did yeah. you ever move to New York? No, I didn't ever move to Do New York. Do you regret that? Are you going to go to New York well, at some that point? That's a great question. Um, that has a, uh, that's a longer answer for another day, but I actually, okay. is, I'm, well, it'll be in my book that comes out next spring. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, no. So I, um, I wasn't following the Lord uh, for, uh, there was a lot of things. There was a lot of things happening at that from age, like. 17 to 25. There was just a lot, a lot happening. And uh, no, I didn't move to New York, but I did. I mean, I traveled to and from New York a lot and took improv classes and sketch comedy classes and studied under, you know, some of the greatest comedians um, ever. And I loved it and I miss it. But, uh, you know, I think it's, it's kind of speaks almost to your point of like the, it's not your turn, like kind of to your first book of just this idea of like, I thought what I wanted to do and God was like, nope, that's not what you're supposed to do. Mm. And, uh, and then, you know, I got saved at the age of 25 and kind of everything changed from there. But now I live on a farm in the middle of North Carolina. So wow, it's basically the same thing where I tell jokes to my goats and, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's basically the same thing as, you know, being on Saturday Night Live. It's essentially so, the same thing. I love my musical theater kids. I'm, yes. This is true. They are yeah. some of like the best students I ever get. And I always tell them, go. Yeah. Like now is the time, 18, 19 years old, just go and make a ton of mistakes. Yeah. And my dad, so my dad was in Broadway. Oh, wow. And so when he, my, him and my mom were married in New York City and they actually moved out of New York to like a small country town, probably like where you are now <laughs> yeah. because of, of me, because they were having kids and they just didn't want to raise this in the city. Yeah. But yeah. I saw anyway, music. I wish I was in musical theater. I'm sure it is a great disappointment to my father that I cannot sing. It is so sad <laughs> because I, I would have loved to follow in his footsteps. Oh, that that's so cool. Well, you know, and I, I loved your question where you're like, do you regret not going? And uh, I don't. I don't. And I thought I would. Um, and there are a lot of reasons that I didn't end up moving um, that I now, with the benefit of hindsight at the age of 37, right. can see that it was God just working in so many ways where I thought it was disappointments at the time or I thought it was yes. like my own mistakes. And it was God just going, nope, nope, I have something better for you in mind. So, mm, so good. Well, I, okay, so I want to transition a little bit because I want to talk about this book. And this is one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on here because this is a conversation that um, I feel like we just need to be having. And I just feel like we are, not enough people are having it. And so when you, I saw you were releasing this book, I'll see you tomorrow, Building Relational Resilience When You Want to Quit, you, which you wrote with your husband um, and the foreword by the the lovely Beth Moore, who we just love. Yeah. Um, I... I just immediately was like, add to cart, buy right now, because oh, I'm so glad. Um, you wrote this, I think, out of a place of seeing a, a legitimate need and and kind of this uh, culture of, you know, I don't want to use the term cancel culture, but I think in some ways, but but more in relationships of yeah. just like cutting people off when you're when when things get hard and we've gotten out of the habit of building relational resilience. And, and um, you know, I see it so often, sadly, in marriages, too, where you just, yeah. you know, there's no like big adultery. There's no massive, you know, like lies and affair and stuff. It's just like the little things that over yeah. that make marriage hard. And people just think, ah, well, it's just easier if we divorce rather than pushing through and you see that in friendships and, and families. So uh, 
I, I would love for you to just kind of share, especially it's really interesting knowing your background in, in communications and all those things that kind of led you and Seth to write this book. Like what was the the path that kind of you guys were on where you were like, okay, this is, you know what, this, this is, I think what we really need to focus on next. You know, I had been wanting to write a book about relationships because relationships are the key to my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, I s- spend a lot of time in therapy talking to my therapist about <laughs> how, no, truly like how yeah. lucky I mm. know that I am because of like five people. Mm. I, I really, tr- I think it's Richard Rohr who says this, but um, he says, I don't know anybody who's actually running a, an effective, successful ministry that is not actually being held together by three to four people mm. um, and the power of the Holy Spirit in in the three to four. And so I'm just, it has fundamentally, it is my entire life, the, the people that I have surrounded myself with. And as I've worked with students throughout the last 10 years, I'm just realizing that we are doing that less and less. Mm. And we're extending grace to people less and less. And of course, it as is everything with today, you know, somebody just said like, gone are the days where you can tweet one tweet and it goes viral. Like now there's like a 10 page thread because you have to constantly keep qualifying what you're saying Yep, to, to not upset yes. people that you didn't say this. So of course, I'm not talking about maintaining toxic relationships. Right. I, I mean, I'm talking about the misunderstanding and especially in our like American culture of I'm going to do this on my own. Mm-hmm. And I picked myself up by my bootstraps and I'm a success story by my, like, I don't think that's even possible. In fact, I say in the book, self-reliance is a myth, right? Um, we were wired and designed and, and I, this is true of both evolutionary biology, but, and Christianity, you were created to exist in relationship with other people. Yep. And I actually think it's, we, God himself does not exist outside of the Trinity, outside of relationship. Who do we think we are to say, I can do this on my, if God doesn't do it on God's own, who do we think we are to say, I reflect the image of God. Well, you can't do that without being in relationship, without being in community because God is relationship, right? So I do think it's this core thing that Christianity needs to refocus on. And also just as human beings, even outside of Christianity, we have to regain our focus on each other. It matters and it changes everything. Oh, you are absolutely right. Oh, yes. I just, there were so many times I was just being like, mm, yes, preach. Uh, keep going. <laughs> um, yeah. And and I, I love that you said just there's this yeah, need to qualify everything we said of just like, no, right. that's not what I mean. And uh, but this is a safe place here. We know, we know. Although, yeah. wait, can I tell you the yes. reason I wrote it with my husband yeah. is because I would make sweeping statements like, we need each other. And my husband would say, Heather, it's not that easy. Mm. And because like, I'm so blessed again, to be surrounded by people who think and have had very different experiences to me. When I was talking to my husband about wanting to write a book about how important relationships are to every part of the human being, he said, essentially, it's not that people don't want relationships, Heather. It's that you don't understand how many times so many people have been abused or mistreated or yeah. hurt. That the response to that becomes, I'm better off. If that's what relationship is, mm-hmm. I'm not interested. Right. So I'm so grateful that he yeah. wrote the book with me to balance out the story. Um, and I think it's a way better book because of him. Oh, I love that. Uh, you know, I think it's so interesting that you kind of reference um 
the the or I think it's important that you reference the not staying in the toxic relationships, but yes. but the importance of that we have to be in community with people who are willing to challenge us and yeah. who are willing to make us better and not we're not so there's like this balance of you don't want to surround yourself with really super toxic people but you also don't want to surround yourself with just an echo chamber of yes men or yes women who are just going to tell you everything that you want to hear <laughs> so right. there's like this balance to be struck and it's a it's a hard one for people who have that mindset of I'm just better off alone, which by the way, I I always kind of joke. I'm like, you know what, even if say you don't even come from like a faith perspective where, you know, we from a faith perspective, you're like, we were created to yes. be in community. <laughs> yes. But say you're not say you're like not. And I'm like, OK, look at Ikea furniture. OK, it says that you need a buddy to, to put it together. <laughs> you can't put that Ikea furniture together without another person there. OK, that's right. All right. That's team, right. Team lift the stuff that you're. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? All right. So there's products that even say you need another person with you. Anyway, yeah. that's a that's a digression. Um, but how how do you strike that balance and know? And I, maybe this is a larger, deeper question, but just how do you strike that balance of being surrounded by people who are the kind of people who encourage and pour into you? And when do you know or start to to know like, okay, this maybe this is a a, heading in a toxic direction, or maybe this is, uh, you know, heading in too much of a yes man or yes woman direction. Like, is there a thing that you kind of just know, or <laughs> I don't know, d- d- yeah. am I making sense here? No. Yeah. And I, I talk about this in chapter one, essentially what we're, so here's the story that I always tell. I had an incident where a friend sent me a screenshot of something that somebody had said about me. And in sending me the screenshot, they forgot to crop out what they had said to initiate this comment. Mm. And so I was really hurt when I saw that I I had felt like you were you were digging, like you were looking for somebody to say something. And I called one of my best friends, um, Jewel Jones. And I said, like, hey, here's what happened. I'm really frustrated. I just saw this text. Like, should I call her out? Should I say something? And she was like, you are absolutely within your grounds to say something. This is wrong. And I was like, yes. And then she goes, or you could look at this in the scheme of your 10 plus year friendship. And you could ask yourself, is this an incident or is this a pattern? Because if it's an incident, maybe you just let it go. If it's a pattern, if this is something that she mm. habitually does, then yes, absolutely call her out. Break the pattern. But if it's an incident, maybe you just, maybe you let it go. And so I let it go. And I never had another incident with that friend since. And, and what I've come to realize is essentially like, I'm really grateful that my friends haven't called me out for everything that I've done that was unkind or not right or when I was jealous or when I was in a bad place, right? Because the reality is I've been the jealous friend Mm. and I've been the bitter friend and I've been the friend that should have called and forgot. Mm. I have, and, And so all I'm trying to do is extend the same grace that my friends have already extended to me. Um, so I think what we're looking for with people is we're looking for patterns. So, and this is my thing too. I'm a communication professor. Words mean things. Yeah. And I think we don't, we just say stuff now. Like we all just say stuff. We, everybody's toxic. Everybody's a narcissist. Well, in my world, words mean things. Toxic means every single time I engage in that relationship, it is poisoning me. Right. It is hurting me. Absolutely. If you are drinking from a poisonous well, 
stop drinking from it. Get out of there. Right. Right. But because there was bad stuff in the water one time, doesn't mean that it's there habitually. Right. So you have to, it's like being an adult and asking yourself, is this something that I need to talk through with them? Is this something I need to talk through with my therapist? Is this a pattern or was this an incident? And am I willing to forgive an incident? Yeah, that is so wise, the way that your friend kind of spoke. She's good. She is good. Keep that one. That's a good yeah. one. Um, you know, and it reminded me kind of of, and I don't know who said this. So if somebody's like, this is a quote from some really famous person and I'm butchering it. <laughs> My apologies. You can save your emails. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it's this quote of like the the most important words that you can say to somebody aren't I'm sorry. It's I was wrong. And admitting that you were wrong or admitting that, hey, I really screwed up here um, or, you know, and and also having the bravery to go to someone and saying, hey, th- this incident really hurt yes. me, but I love you and I, I you know, I want to work through it or, or whatever. And, and sometimes, you know, I mean, I, I can think of an incident I had with a friend a couple of years ago where, you know, I just I had said something, but I hadn't thought at all anything about it. And I guess it, it had hurt her. And I was like, right. I'm, you know, I'm really sorry. I screwed up here. And I, and, and it was, a it was that moment for me to say I was wrong. I was wrong. Right. And, and, and I'm, you know, kind of know better and do better. I'm going to know better and do better. But having that, and I love that your, your friend also re- referenced that relational equity of you have a, you have a 10 year history here. So are you going to let this one incident just completely wipe a, you know, a decades long friendship? Or are you going to use it as, um, you know, a building block to strengthen your relationship in the future and see that 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 moment of of hardship as as a building block to, to, right. to grow your relationship? That's really important. I love that advice that she gave. Yeah, I think so, too. And what I'm seeing in this next generation is there's so much emphasis and it's it's not their fault. I, I Again, our depression rates, our porn addiction rates, our suicide rates, like all of these are things that we have handed to them. The right. system is not a system that Gen Z has built. They right. get, for some reason, a lot of flack for a system that they didn't build. Right. So a lot of the, the conversation that we have handed to them is only around boundaries Mm -hmm. and only around walking away and only around knowing your worth. All those things are true, but can we do a little both and here where we hold two things to be true at the same time? Yes. You need to know when to walk away and you also need to know how to stay Mm -hmm. because if you don't know how to stay, you are going to live a miserable life. Because the reality is life is going to keep lifing. It is going to keep giving you experiences that you would rather quit or walk away or throw in the towel on. And if you don't learn at some point how to keep showing up, I just think, you're, I mean, you're you're robbing yourself of the journey mm-hmm. of being able to look back of relationships that span decades. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, have you, do you know Daniel Grothy? I don't. Oh my gosh. Okay. I need to get you and Daniel Grothy. He's a pastor at New Life Church out in Colorado, but he's written a couple books. And um, his second book that came out in the fall of 21 is called Power of Place. And it's mm. building stability or, or uh, yeah, building roots in a rootless age or stability in a rootless mm. age. Um, but you would love him. You should have him on his podcast, on your podcast. Yeah. He's phenomenal. Um, just a really good, good dude in general. But this, the whole idea of his book is how we live live in this 
age of wanderlust. And so when life gets hard, you know, when when we don't like where we live anymore, we move. When we don't like our job anymore, we quit. When we don't like the marriage anymore, we get a new one. When we don't like the friendship anymore, we get a new one. And I've talked about this actually a couple times on the podcast um, since that that book. Um, but one of the things that I think is so powerful that I think speaks exactly to what you're talking about is, uh, you know, in his research for the book, he he studied these different blue zones. Um, and the blue zones are these kind of areas around the world that have a higher than normal population of centenarians. So people, you know, living over a hundred years old. And there's one in like California, there's one in Greece, there's one in Japan. Um, I can't remember where the other ones are, but they're looking at what are the factors that are playing into this, you know, there's large groups of people who are living to be, you know, 105, 6, 7, 8, 10, you know, all very, you know, old and they're all living together. And there's like, you know, they worship together. Uh, their yes, their diets, but even then, it's not like really that all that connected because you know you have like in Italy the people who are eating like pasta and bread and stuff like that, but in Japan, you know they're eating fish and rice and things like that. Um, they you know they exercise, but one of the really interesting factors is all of them have lived there basically their whole lives and have these deeply rooted relationships. And so like this one particular community, and I, after the conversation, I went and kind of did some further research on this because I was just fascinated by it. And I'm by no means an expert, but I was just, I thought this was really incredible is, you know, particularly in this area in Japan, you have like this one group of women who are all 105, 106, 107. They've been friends since they were children. (laughs) So like they have a hundred years of relational equity. Like, wow. Can you imagine the stuff that they have seen, the conversations they've had, the experiences, the laughs they've shared, the tears they've cried. And they walk together to the market and they laugh with their husbands. You know, I mean, and you just think about what that does for your body, your mind and your yes. soul to have those people who know you, who know you. And it, it we are in an age where that is rare. Yeah. It's so rare. And it's, you know, and, and yes, there are certainly, like we said, we have to qualify it where there's situations where you you have jobs that force you to move and things like that. But he's like, but if you can stay in your place with your people, find your people and plant roots there. And that has really stuck with me and has been a prayer of of mine since then. And I'll tell you by by God's just generous goodness, like he has done that for our family since we moved to this farm is, you know, I have some of the best friendships I could have ever Mm -hmm imagined and that and that that come off of a season of a couple of really painful friendship breakups mm. um which I want to talk about in a minute but yeah so I I just I think it's so interesting and and like you said with Gen Z like w- they're in a system that we built but I was talking with a friend whose daughter is 17 and I was talking with the daughter too and th- her generation she's like we don't know how to have face to face conversations mm. she's like we only know how to communicate through our phones and mm. I just was like, man, what can I be doing with my kids who are now, you know, seven and nine to break that cycle of yeah. how do I ha- teach them how to have relationships and how to communicate with their friends and not to communicate through phones and texting and things like that? I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's it's a lot. It's a lot to think about, but it's an important thing to think of, think about so that you can make those yes. changes. 
I, I think it's in social intelligence, um, a study that found in like in order for you to move away from your sense of belonging and the people and social structure that you have, you have to make like a hundred thousand dollars more a year in order for that trade off to hmm. level out. Hmm. So I always, if you're going to move, is the job that you're going to going to bring you a hundred thousand dollars more a year? If not, um, studies show you won't be more happy, which I just think is really interesting, right? Like, yeah. And also like, I think we say things, but I just want people to understand like this does impact your health. I'm, I'm not yeah. talking about it metaphorically. Loneliness is the same as smoking 15 cigarettes a day yeah. on your health. Like this actually is hurting your couples who report having hostility in their relationships. They did a study where they um, brought people into a lab and created several small wounds on their arms. And then they put a device over the wounds to measure the rate of healing. And couples who reported having hostility in their relationships took twice as long for the wounds to heal than couples who didn't have hostility in their relationships. Wow. Right. So our relationships that are toxic and also our lack of relationship does, it's not metaphorical and I'm not being dramatic. This is actually hurting you wow. physically. Wow. And we have to put language to that. Wow. That is so, I see, I love, I love stuff like that. I'm so, I'm so Me too. fascinated by it. Um, as you were doing the research for this book, you know, because I I love the sci the connection of of science and um Me too. and faith too, and I'm somebody who does not find them to be mutually exclusive, um uh -huh. and so I would I'd be curious like as you were doing the research for this and you learned some of the that kind of the sciency type things, but then also digging into scripture and what God says about relationships and what He created us for. Was there anything that you learned or came across that you were just like, "This is mind blowing. This is incredible. I didn't know, I had no idea," or something just maybe a revelation for you? I think what other people have found to be mind-blowing is something called the strength of weak ties. And I think I talk about it in chapter nine or chapter seven. Um, essentially what it says is it's not that, so it's not that you have to have best friends. It's that you have to have relationship mm -hmm. and studies show that it's not true. Uh, you know how we say, um, quality over quantity mm -hmm. studies show that that's actually not true. You are created for a relationship and there's something called the strength of weak ties, which says, if you make an effort to just invest in whatever relationships you have, don't look at what's not as deep as you wish it were. If you make an effort when you go to work to talk to your coworkers, if when you go, I go to the same restaurant a couple times a week in the morning and the waitress's name is Shirley. And when I walk in, Shirley says, Hey, Heather, how are you? I've missed you. How are you? We'll hug. I pray with Shirley. Like I, Shirley is a weak tie. I don't, hang out with her and I'm not texting her. But every time I go into the restaurant, I have a conversation with Shirley. Studies show that when I leave her diner after having a conversation with Shirley, I feel more healthy, happy, whole, mm -hmm. right? So stop looking for, I think, the best friend or the soulmate and just start saying, how do I prioritize the relationships that I do have wherever those are mm -hmm. and whatever those look like? Because those make me a healthy, healthier, happier person too. The strength of weakness 
ties really matters. That's so interesting too. And and I think that that's mutually beneficial because again, it 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 almost it further speaks to the idea of like just seeing people and yes, seeing them for who they are and seeing them as as fellow humans and image bearers rather than just like the woman at the you know, at the, oh. the restaurant or um, which I I am that I am that way. My husband laughs at me and kind of jokes and, and pokes fun at me because I make friends wherever I go, like the cashier yep, yep. or the person at the gas station. Um, oh, I'm going to digress real quick and tell a really quick, funny story that maybe some people are going to be like, Molly, you have a problem and you <laughs> should get that. You, you should deal with that. But whatever. So uh, I love Diet Coke. It's I'm not a I'm not a coffee drinker. I love Diet Coke. I drink Diet Coke. I understand that it's bad for me, but it's I'm at a stage in my life. I've given it up before. I'm at a stage in my life where I'm a better person because I can drink Diet Coke. <laughs> anyway, I am very picky about my Diet Coke and I really love a fountain Diet Coke. And there is a gas station like, you know, I live in the country, but there's a gas station like 10 minutes away. Um, that has good fountain diet coke. Anyway, I always go every Sunday morning before church, and I go get my diet coke. And Donnell is the guy who works at the gas station when I go get my diet coke. And I talk to Donnell. I know he's a Steelers fan. You know, I know how many kids he has. He knows I'm a Browns fan. We poke each other, you know, fun at each other, even though we're both Carolina fans. So you know, we we talk. Uh, so last Sunday. My friend had texted me on our worship team. She texted me. She was like, hey, I'm actually at the gas station. Do you want me to get your Diet Coke for you? So I was like, OK, sure. Tell Donnell I said, what's up? Anyway, so he, she was in there and she said something to Donnell about, oh, we're getting Molly's Diet Coke for her. So she he, she goes over and he was like, no, no, no. You need to get the other cup. She likes that <laughs> cup. She doesn't get it with any ice. Like he knew my order. But then my friend is standing there like, you know this much about Molly and her Diet Coke order. He was like, yeah. And he said that even every Saturday, he makes sure that the Diet Coke is changed out and fresh for when I come. Oh. I know. And Megan was just like, she was like, who are you that you are like <laughs> this level of a relationship with Donnell, the guy at the Circle K down the road? Um, and, you know, so it's it's a funny thing. But also at the same time, like it speaks to it's something I value of like, right. I know Donnell. And like when the last manager of that Circle K, V, V, she left, she got a new job. Like she was genuinely worried that she wasn't going to see me before her last day. You know what I mean? I'm just like, yes. And now I'm cheering her on. She's a general manager of a bank about 30 minutes away now. And I'm like, if I could That's change amazing. banks, I would V, but I'm not going to. But And what happens <laughs> when you leave that gas station? This is what I want everybody listening to other understand. No, this is true. And you... I know you're going to understand this because I say it to my students. What happens if, if I have a student that says, I have no friends. I don't feel like I fit in on this campus. I say to them, start saying hi when you pass people on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. What happens when somebody says, hey, how are you? As you pass them on the sidewalk. Subconsciously, your brain starts to tell you, you belong here. Mm -hmm. People notice you. Are you having deep heart to heart conversations? No, but you are wired to exist in relationship and your body and your mind value yep. connection. Yeah. So even when it's simple, like a diet Coke, when you walk out of that gas station, because of him, you now feel more connected to yourself yeah. and to your community. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. And it's, it's that mute. It's mutually, it's mutual too, because you know, if I don't go on a Sunday and I come that, he's like, where were you? Yeah. Or if he's not there, I'll be like, Donnell, where were 
were you? Were you sick? Yeah. Like what's going on? I'm worried uh-huh. about you, man. So it's, it's that ability to check in on each other and to see each other. And yeah. And I mean, I have countless stories like that of just, you know, but I, I think that is so important. And, and I love the way that you said, it's just like those, those weak ties are actually really important. Um, yes. not to discount the strong ones, but no, the, the, the weak ones are, are important too. both and both and So I, I briefly alluded to this, um, but I was talking about a friendship breakup, and 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 this was a situation in which I, I lost somebody who was uh, my, I mean, she, my best friend. We were best friends, mm. and uh, it's a story that I am not privy to share the gruesome right. details of here on the podcast. But needless to say, the friendship needed to no longer continue after after the events that occurred, but. I, I really grieved that for a while. And then there were even times where I was like, should I, I have forgiven her. Do I tell her that? And then I kind of came to the conclusion. I was like, nope, you know what? My forgiveness of her is between me and the Lord. And I just need to not ever, you know, if I see her in public, if I happen to run into her, I'm not going to be ugly right. or anything like that. But I think we don't talk about friendship breakups a lot. We've yeah. talked about, you know, in the grand scheme of life, we will talk about you know, love relationship breakups, but it's hard to talk about friendship breakups. And I can think about ones that from my early childhood that were really painful that stuck with me for years. But I had, it was the first time I'd had an adult Mm. friendship breakup where this person who was a very integral part of my life was now no longer a part of my life and how painful that was. So I would love for you to speak to that a little bit because for, it can happen for a lot of different reasons, um, whether it's like a, a conscious, like, Hey, we're no longer friends anymore. Or if it's a a fizzling out, or if it's a, there's a big blow up and something happens, you know, but how to kind of one know when the time is that, you know what, this, this relationship can no longer continue and I can no longer have you in my space and I can no longer be in your space and vice versa, or what to do afterwards when you're in the healing Mm. process. Cause both of those things are really hard. Yeah. So first I want to say that it takes six to seven times of interactions with somebody, of of hanging out with somebody before your brain starts to feel like, okay, I know who we are. Before you start to feel safe in a relationship with somebody, six to seven times, which I think is important because sometimes after a friendship breakup, you know, you're looking for another friend and it just feels like I'm never going to have that again. Well, give yourself six to seven times because especially as adults, oftentimes you might see somebody once a month So that could take six to seven months of that type of a relationship for your brain to even say, okay, I feel like we're in a relationship right now. Mm. Um, And going back to knowing when to leave, I think it's looking for whether or not we're seeing patterns. So the definition of friendship is, and this is by uh, Joseph DeVito, it's in our communication theories textbooks. The definition of friendship is that it is mutually productive and characterized by mutual positive regard. Mm. And I love saying that. Yeah. Because again, words mean things. Right. And we will call people our friends who are not. That's right. Because the definition of friendship is a relationship that is mutually productive, meaning I make you a better person Mm -hmm. and you make me a better person. And characterized by mutual positive regard. I feel loved and seen and known by you. Yeah. Friendship is actually this really beautiful thing that I think 
we have to be careful not to use language around people who are not demonstrating those things for us. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So we would avoid, I think sometimes even like, just like we would avoid romantic breakups with people who aren't being careful with our hearts, we'll avoid, I think, painful social experiences just by using appropriate language. Because once I use certain words, I'm telling my brain, this is what something is that by definition, it's not. Hmm. So that makes sense. So this is just another example. Um, Pluchik um, talks about like emotions and he says there's primary emotions and there's blended emotions. So for an emotion like love, the only way for you to feel the emotion, love is a blended emotion. The only way for you to feel the emotion that we call love is to blend together two primary emotions at the same time, the emotions of trust and joy. Mm. So my students will sit in my office and they'll say, Dr. Day, you don't understand. I love him. I love her. I say, do you? Because you just told me about somebody who's been cheating on you. Right. I want you to say it again, but use language appropriately. Say, I have so much joy with him. He just cheats on me. Because you can't trust somebody who's doing that. Right. Right. Like once we use language appropriately, it will put the relationship or lack of relationship into focus. Yeah. So I think I just want people to remember when it comes to friendship, you are looking for a relationship that is mutually productive and characterized by mutual positive regard. And when it comes to healing, I mean, healing is not. Uh, like the definition of healing is not um, a linear line. Right. It's like a circle. Right. So healing will have stages and, and there might be times that you're like, oh, I feel great. I feel totally fine. And then all of a sudden somebody says something and it triggers you. And all of a sudden you're, man, why am I so sad about this again? I thought I was over this. Hmm. That's actually what healing looks like. You aren't doing anything wrong. You're engaging in healing, which is actually a process, not necessarily a destination. Mm. That's so good. And and such a reminder to to communicate those things. And I know you as a communication person uh, would agree is and I actually had a, a we had a discussion with our um, in our church's women's ministry on Sunday or excuse me, last Saturday. Just here on my on my front porch, probably you know, fifteen women from our church's women's ministry. We just gathered and we were having a conversation on anxiety and just what's mm. you know root causes of anxiety and things like that. But one of the things that we kind of discovered and uncovered is for so many women, one of the root causes and sources of different types of anxiety was actually just a lack of communication and going on this like mental crazy train where you're telling, uh, writing a narrative that's not true yeah. or there. And so instead, like, what do you do to get off of that crazy train? And that's go directly to the source, whether it's the Bible for the source of truth mm. or the person that maybe you're feeling anxious or unsure in a particular relationship. You know, if you're like, oh, in my marriage, I'm, 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 I'm thinking that, you know, maybe my husband isn't attracted to me anymore. Right. Or maybe, you right. know, maybe in this friendship, maybe she's talking behind my back or whatever. And you're writing this false narrative of things that you're just the enemy has seeped into your brain and is telling you all of these different lies. And so you're becoming more and more anxious when instead, if you could just go to the person, you know, I mean, go to I go to my husband, and I say, I'm just feeling like, not great. And I'm feeling like, you know, that you're not attracted to me anymore. And you know, he's looking at me like, that's ridiculous. I of course, I'm attracted to you, you know, what I right, mean? things like right. that. So but it's like, helping the 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 source, the foundation of truth actually replace the lie that is spiraling in your head. And so that creates that, like you were saying, that creates that bit of trust of going, oh, this is what's actually true. Going to the friend and saying, hey, I, 
you know, is there tension here or is there something going on here that I don't know about? Or am I writing a false narrative? And the friend going, well, no. But then also having on the, you know, kind of that caveat with having enough of a relationship to be able to go to the person, find out the the source of truth and to be honest. Mm. Because maybe you are going to that person, that person's not being honest with you in return. Right. And that furthers right. that that trust. And then in the end, you can you know, cultivate joy in the relationship. I love that. I mean, I, I think about in my husband, in my marriage, we have complete and total trust and he brings me so much joy. We laugh together constantly. Like that's love. We have so much. And of course I love him. He's the best, you know? (laughs) know? Um, and in my friendships. Yeah. So that's, I love that definition. Me too. Me too. So good. I'll give you it. I'll give at least your listeners another one. Um, I'm sorry remorse is not a primary emotion. It's a blended emotion. It's blending together the two primary emotions of sadness and disgust. Mm. So when you say, I I use this for myself with the Lord, when I say, I'm sorry, I feel remorseful, God, do I, or am I just sad? Am I sad? I got caught. Am I sad? I'm dealing with consequences. Do I feel disgusted with myself Mm. over my perceived sin? That's actually the measuring line. When somebody says to you, I'm sorry, are they? Mm. Are they disgusted with themselves over what they've done? That's actually what remorse looks like. So again, I just love etymology. I love language. I love communication and understanding what these words mean so that we can use it appropriately. Same. You are my people because that is totally how I am too. (laughs) I love love that stuff. Um, I mean, in, in, in many contexts, I mean, I... I think it's back there somewhere. I don't know. I on a christianbook.com sale like bought myself the strongs like exhaustive concordance. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. You love a concordance. Same. Yes. I just absolutely. I I'm like one of those people I used to always like it would send me a new word every day so I could look at a word and yeah. understand them. Like I love understanding where words even came from. Same. Same. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I love it so much. Yeah, we really are. Well, cut from the same cloth cuz that is exactly yeah, when that when that thing came in the mail, because it is a beast. The Strong's exhaustive Bible concordance the thing is just enormous. And my husband was like, What is that? And I was like, Yes, um, it's the Bible dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, Who are you? Why are you the way that you are? I'm like, Yeah, would you have if you had told 21-year-old me who wanted to be the next Molly Shannon on Saturday Night Live that I would one day order a Bible concordance? <laughs> I would have been like, I don't know about that. They're basically the same thing. Um, (laughs) Okay. Well, I know that we are, we're running out of time, but there's one kind of last thing that I wanted to ask as we're kind of wrapping up and that's kind of putting a bow on all of this. And that is because this does take work and this does take intentionality. And um, I saw in an interview or, or something that you did where you talked about how we're just constantly filled in our culture right now with advice on how to live, to leave rather than advice on how to stay. And so whether it's in marriage or in friendships or, you know, even with family members, um, cause ooh, that's, I feel like that's a whole, whole nother podcast is yeah, 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 yeah. family um, is how do we begin to soak up advice or what's the piece of advice you have for when we are, we are hitting those roadblocks in relationships or we want to leave or ourselves, you know, we, we find ourselves with the desire to peace out when instead we we're like, no, we're going to stay. Where do, where do we start with that? Yeah. And I, I'm somebody that would say, 
of course there are relationships we absolutely have to leave. Also, is there times that you can just weaken the tie? Mm. I don't think everything, you know what I mean? Like if somebody's not toxic or destructive, they're just annoying. Is it appropriate to just weaken the tie? You don't have to spend, start asking yourself instead of, I have to say no to X, Y, and Z. What can you say yes to Mm. flip that conversation? A, A friend of mine has like an annoying person in their life that maybe isn't toxic, but they're just kind of annoying to them. <laughs> and I get it. She was saying, she was saying to me, like, what do I do? Something's happening. And I said, okay, so what can you say yes to? We know that you don't want to go to dinner anymore because things happen in that conversation that make you not feel good about yourself. So what can you say yes to? This person, can you like send food to their house? Does that still feel safe for you? Is that a place where you're weakening the tie, but you're still valuing the dignity and the humanity of that person? What can you start saying yes to? I just think we have to start asking ourselves different questions Mm. where we're still keeping the humanity of that person in view. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Is, yeah. Can you weaken the tie? And I think that happens sometimes too, is, is you have you know, the relationship, relationship seasons in friendship. Absolutely. Like, yeah. And, and that's not necessarily a bad, and that's not a bad I don't think thing. so either. You know, cause you might have a friend, you know, friendships that like, I think about some of the friends I had, um, when I was, you know, when I first moved to North Carolina, I was young and I was, uh, you know, I didn't have kids. I wasn't married and I was living alone and I was doing comedy and like my friends then, look very different than my friends now when I, you know, am married with kids. I live on a farm. Uh, I write for myself. I'm writing a book. I am, you know, my, I planted a church. Like, you know, my life just looks very different yeah, now. Yeah. And so it's not that I don't love and care right. about those people, but they just, we live very different lives now. And so that's not a bad thing. It's, it's honoring and respecting who that person was to you in that season. And then just periodically just checking, Hey, I, you know, yes. I was thinking about you. Hope you're doing well. You know, you can just, like you said, honor the person and, and who they are and their humanity. And, and, and even just reach out and just say, what's up? Like, it's, you don't have to go get lunch. You don't have to, you know, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's so Weak good. in the tie. Yeah. And I think for me, that vocabulary is very helpful. Yeah. It reminds me what I'm doing. Right. And it tells me you're not cutting off a relationship. Yeah. You're weakening the tie. Yeah. I think that's a very, that that language is very freeing. Um, I do too. It's very freeing. Yeah. And then it also, but then reminds you, okay, well then if there are people in my life that um, I'm weakening the tie on that I don't, you know, dislike them, but they're just, they're not a person that I want to in really invest in. But then it reminds you, okay, well then who are the people that I do want to be, you know, who are my Aaron and her that are going to be holding up my arms there you go. when there you go. life is hard and, and things yep. like that? Because because you do need that. You don't want to completely cut off everybody, you know, um, and weaken all of your ties. Yeah. <laughs> um, that would be, That's not good. But, um, oh, man. Uh, Heather, this is so good. Uh, this has uh, so well, I, obviously, um, where can people connect with you? You've got the Viral Jesus podcast. Yeah. Where can they follow your work, get your books, all of that? Yeah, you can just go to my website, heatherthompsonday.com. And the latest book is I'll See You Tomorrow. This is the time where we ask some just kind of fun questions. And um, I like ending on this note because this is this is the heart of the show. Um, so question number one is, what's the last thing that made you laugh, like belly laugh? 
Oh, goodness. Probably, I think it was with my students yesterday sitting. We, I'm teaching a social media class right now and they created a video and we were just... <laughs> dying laughing over it was like they were getting trolled a lot and they were like really excited about it because they're like look at them giving us engagement so it, it was just like it, it was really funny and yeah. one of my they were talking about um people were commenting talking about what the way one of my students was dressed and she was like if you think I'm cute just say that it, it was oh, just I it was very funny love it so much I I'm telling you I, there, I, I loved teaching. I loved teaching. I mean, granted, I taught high schoolers. I know you're teaching college students, but they're they're, they're still all the same. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I look back and and the laughs that I would have in my classroom yes. sometimes are just they're so funny. The things that they would say. And so my maiden name was Buckley, and <laughs> I had a group of students who decided that they were going to call me Miss Buck Nasty, and I was like, No, <laughs> we're not going to do that. We're not. Nope. No, no. And so, I mean, for the rest of their high school, like for the rest of the time I was teaching there, I was buck nasty to them. And then I remember I got a call from a parent who was horrified that her son was referring to me as Miss Buck Nasty and then reported me to my principal because she said that her son told her that I required my students to call them, call me Miss Buck Nasty. And I said, uh, you think that I was like, you know, what's a great idea is to have some 10th graders call you know me. What name I really like, you know, what name I really like. <laughs> I just was like on the I remember being on the phone with this parent and being like, ma'am, I just want you to do you really believe that? Because like, if you really believe that, then I am not even mad. I'm impressed. Like <laughs> when you said, ma'am, yeah. she knew she was in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, ma'am. Excuse me, ma'am. Oh, <laughs> Oh, heavens to Betsy. Okay. Um, okay. The second question is a little more serious. What is the last thing that brought you to tears? This it's probably, it's not going to sound serious. I'm no, I'm a it. deep Swifty. I love it. And I'm, I'm really deep into Dumois right now, um, celebrity gossip page. And so I'm, I'm getting all of my information on the Taylor Swift, Joe Allen breakup. And I'm, I'm hurt. I'm so sad for my girl that she is going through this. We were all rooting for her. This is, I just hope I, I'm, I got tickets to the Eras tour. So I'm really oh. hoping that she's still going strong because I don't get to see her till like the end of June. I, oh, I just hope that this doesn't take her down. So I, I actually did shed when I saw that they, I couldn't sleep that night. I was up. I, I almost divorced my own husband in solidarity. I was absolutely broken <laughs> about Taylor Swift and Joe Allen's breakup. I am so, I am so sad. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I, so I'm not, I like Taylor Swift, but I would not refer to myself as a, a Swifty, but I did see a meme the other day that was, cause you know, she apparently went out to dinner, which I'm sure, you know, with Ryan of Reynolds course I and know. Blake and Blake Lively. Yeah. And I did love that there was like a paparazzi picture of Ryan Reynolds, like smiling as he got into his car. And it was like, this guy knows more secrets than the FBI. Like, <laughs> And they immediately unfollowed Joe after that dinner. I know. So we're all wondering, what did he do, Taylor? What did he do? And we're never going to know. We're never going to know. Until the album. I know. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. And then my last and final question is, what do you do that just brings you the most joy? Oh, um, definitely hanging out with my kids. Oh, 
that I mean, yeah, absolutely. Hang on. My husband and I were my son. We just got him roller skates. His birthday was last week, Thursday. Um, and it was just like we were helping him learn how to roller skate around the block and just kept looking at each other smiling. And he's like, my husband was like, is this not like just can you believe that we get to be this kid's parents? Like, this is just the best life ever that we have this little person who to us is like, so cute, you know, and I fun know. and amazing and smart. I so, know. Being I, with my family for sure. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Just, so my, I was, I told you before we were recording my, my son is home from school sick and he has been for like what feels like forever. Um, but he, you know, it, I, this morning he just was really sad that he had to miss another day of school. I was sad that he had to miss another day of school. <laughs> and right. I was like, ah, yeah. but he, um, <laughs> you know, I was like, you want to put together like a little kiwi crate, you know, the little craft thing. And so we made like this little, uh, you know, like wooden soccer guy that can kick a ball and then made like a homemade um, bow and arrow. Aww. And like he was just so cute. Like when he, you know, when, They're he, so cute. when he figures it out, how to do it himself. And he figured out how to do it before I did. And I was like, all right, bud. Well, I guess you're smarter than me. <laughs> you know, am I smarter than a seven year old? I don't yeah. <laughs> It's not, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, so good. Um, Heather, you are a joy and a delight. Thank you for being here. And thank you for the work that you're putting out into the world. Thank you for having me. I hope you loved this conversation with Heather. She is just a phenomenal human being. And I would love to know what you loved about this episode. Or if there was something that you learned, please let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Can I Laugh Pod, wherever you get your podcasts and social media. And would you take a moment to leave a review of the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to? Click that subscribe or follow button. And when you leave a review, you're really letting me know and letting others know what the show's about. And it gives us a little bit of that social cred, you know? Not that I like need social cred because I'm already pretty cool. I'm just <laughs> just kidding. I don't know what I'm talking about. But I also, I want to tell you to tune in next week where my guests are Dr. Ed Gravely and Dr. Peter Link. And we are talking all about Bible 101, a crash course in understanding scripture. I promise you, I nerded out with them in the best way possible. It was so much fun. You're going to love it. So be sure to tune in next week. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. Thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And for you, I hope something this week makes you laugh till you cry. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.